Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. As far as James, he's our guy. We still got James Harden. Our goal is still to win a championship. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Being in a win-now situation, that's great. I'm a win-now coach. Six, five, four, three, two. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and the founder slash managing editor of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, your home for all things Houston hoops. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as the blog at ClutchCityCR. Now joining us today is senior NBA writer for Action Network HQ, Mr. Matt Moore himself. Appreciate you taking the time to come talk hoops with us, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, enrage the Houston fan base once again. Yeah, you know, I guess first things first is, you know, for our listeners that might not know who you are, just tell them a little bit about yourself. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I've been on Twitter a long time and and I have like a, a very, it's very odd. I have a contentious relationship with Rockets fans because I talk about the Rockets a lot um, I, my favorite basketball team of all time is the, uh, 1994 Houston Rockets. That's my favorite basketball team of all time. Okay. So you're uh, starting I, off on a strong, on a strong, strong note here. I like yeah, it. So I, I have, I have enough affection for the franchise. Um, I wrote probably more than I, I know I wrote more than anyone else about the 2017 NBA MVP. Um, I have done six deep dives into hardened seasons um, I feel as versed on Harden's game as any media writer uh, out there. Like I can go, I feel pretty confident in my ability to go toe for toe and breaking down all the nuances of his game. Um, but at the same time, I'm not always roses and lovely things. And so I've criticized various moves like letting Trevor Ariza go and various other things with the team. And so um, I- I'm both an ally and an enemy at once. No, I think, and I think that's a, you know, for somebody who is, you know, who has followed you for a long time on Twitter, um, I think that's a very uh, apt way to describe yourself. And I think it does you justice. You know, I, I'm one of the, I guess, one of the uh, segments of Rockets uh, media or fans that do appreciate getting some, some nuance in your analysis, um, you know, and I don't exactly take exception to, to the uh, somewhat sometimes negative uh, elements of what you have to say about the Rockets. I myself uh, am highly critical of the team at times. So I guess first, things first is we do know now that James Harden is in Houston undergoing COVID-19 testing protocols, um, but he will need to register six negative tests, uh, assuming one every single day, uh, up until he clears the COVID-19 testing protocols and is able to rejoin the team for team activities, which means uh, basically that he might be back in time for the first of two home preseason games against the Spurs. But I guess where we're going to start things off for uh, in today's pod is just um, looking at the James Harden situation, just immediate reaction to it, is James Harden in the wrong for how he has, uh, I guess, approached this situation uh, just on the surface? Do you like what he's done? Do you think he's in the right? Do you think he's in the wrong? Give us your thoughts. I don't like to make these things into moral uh, categorizations. And the reason I don't is I'm not privy to all the information. Okay. And it's not 
my career. Like you get to make your own decisions on how you conduct yourselves. And there are things about it that I think are unintended negative consequences, which do not get discussed. What this winds up coming down to is the player supportive side says, how can you side with the owners? He is just trying to like maximize him. Like he's the one that drives all the money. He's the superstar and he's just trying to do what's best for himself. And the other side goes, he's under contract. He signed a contract. He needs to, to honor the contract. I have an appreciation for the latter. Um, I wind up mostly being like, look, man, we're part of a basketball ecosystem, but you yourself are a huge part of a localized basketball ecosystem. The teammates that have signed on to play for this team and have engaged themselves, they're reliant on you. You're screwing them over. You're not there when they have to be, and they're going to have to wait on you, and they're going to have to deal with all the drama, and they're going to get asked about it consistently, so they're already annoyed at. This affects them. Their season is going down the drain, which is one of the few. They get 12 years-ish in the league. This is one of them that is essentially being wasted because you've decided to take this approach. Um, you can say, like, well, the, the you know, if the team were just to trade them, they could still – well, if you trade them, you're basically punting on the, on the year. You're punting on, cha- on championship aspirations. There's executives. There's team personnel. There's ticket sales. There's PR there's arena workers, there's fans. We're all part of an ecosystem and various parts of us have more or less important parts to play. But when you do this, you affect everyone. I blame the situation on Tillman Fertitta. I have no reason not to blame this on Tillman Fertitta. This has been writing on the wall for years with how Tillman has approached things. However, I think that Harden is responsible for his own behavior, and I do not think that he has done right by his teammates, his teams, the fans, the organization, or the city. You won't hear any objection from me about uh, you know placing a at least a significant portion of the blame on Tillman Fertitta's shoulders, but I personally, for me, I don't know if it's necessarily all that black and white, if only because it feels like there were certain people that played certain roles along the way. Again, I do think a large chunk of it can be attributed to Fertitta, but then you look at the situation where, you know, you can make the argument, has has the Rockets organization done enough to have, I guess, to be able to warrant a claim that James Harden shouldn't be behaving this way in the first place, that they've, you know, have they done enough to, you know, go out of their way to try and put repeatedly, you know, contenders around him with the latest move being the one you know acquiring Russell Westbrook because that's the guy that James Harden wanted so then when you get into this whole argument of okay well should the team have listened to him or not I think that you and I both recently read that article by uh, Colin McGowan on Real GM and you know kind of looking through that uh, Colin his conclusion was that the Rockets should have just never made that trade in the first place and you deal with the the lesser of two evils, I guess, by alienating your star player. But I don't even necessarily think that that's the right move. What's your take on that? I think, um, I think once you start going down the route of the superstar gets to pick, I think you're already in danger. Uh, LeBron's win in 2016 was transcendent and amazing and incredible. One of the things that made it incredible in the 3-1 comeback is the Cavs were not nearly as good as the Warriors. And one of the reasons the Cavs weren't as good as the Warriors is because LeBron had a lot of impact over who they signed. Um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope played great. Great in these playoffs. He was fantastic. He is. You, you don't have to remind he, me. I, I watched him uh, destroy yeah. the Rockets over five games. It was great. Yeah. 
Um, he has been granted in that inner circle and you get so much confidence and basically free, uh, free pass because you're one of LeBron's guys. Typically speaking, this just doesn't work out. Um, I wind up being like, look, if Harden, they did everything they could to give Harden what he wanted. They gave, they gave him all the money in the world. They extended him every single time. The question that we have that was still unanswered is whether or not Daryl Morey was alongside that move. Daryl hasn't answered it. Daryl probably won't until he gets to write a book when his time is done or when there's a book written about Harden. This will come out much, I will tell you this, much the same way that stuff will come out about, about Harden's exit from OKC, which has not been accurately portrayed either by the people that I've spoken with. Like These things are just messier than they're made out to be. Um, and I wind up just believing that at this point, you're probably doomed either way. Like the biggest thing was that he wanted Russ, but he wanted Russ because he didn't want Chris. If he just wanted Chris, he'd been like, well, yeah, I'd love to play with Russ, but I mean, I'm not getting rid of Chris because we went to the conference finals. Like if Chris doesn't get hurt, we're, we're make, we're winning the title. Like that should be the reaction, but it wasn't like, just like Harden, like Harden has chafed at everybody. And at some point, if you keep chafing with people, I can say it's about them too. And I think it was like, no, like he, he had problems with Dwight Howard. Everyone has problems with Dwight Howard. He had problems <laughs> with Chris Paul. Everyone has problems with Chris Paul. It's tough. They're tough personalities. But at some point, if you're the guy and it's never enough, I think that that does point in one general direction. And I think he has to be held responsible, at least in the court of public opinion, to a degree on that, to whatever, to whatever degree he cares. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do think it gets a little bit tired when people just present the idea of, you know, with, without any further uh, context behind it when they're, or again, nuance, which is something that I do appreciate you for, is the idea that, you know, they, they point to James Harden and they say, well, it didn't work with Dwight, it didn't work with Russ, it didn't work with CP3. I did those out of order and that's going to bother me. But uh, legitimately, right, they point to those three names and they think it's some sort of an indictment on, on exclusively James Harden when, as you just portrayed those guys are tough personalities to get along with and you know in certain situations the fit wasn't exactly there um obviously injuries play a part there's so much more that goes into it than just oh it's you know Harden couldn't make it work with those three guys so it's got to be James Harden's fault I do think there's a fair share of blame to be rolled around um to all parties involved but I think that right now what we're looking at is is James Harden and the the ultimate indictment of what's going on with him is you know he has now basically just given up on the Houston franchise, you know, and he's so, got, there's, there's a lot of questions around that and why that has happened. Um, and actually I want to continue down this path a, a little bit more, but uh, we'll get there in just one moment. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with senior NBA writer for Action Network HQ, uh, Matt Moore. Now, Matt, we, we were you know discussing the James Harden situation, and I believe there was something else you wanted to tack on to what we were discussing. Yeah, so I, I think that there is one thread that you can kind of pull from Dwight through Chris through Russ and now to this situation that I think is very telling because I've thought this for quite a long time. Um like you said, those are tough. We talked about those being tough personalities. Here's the bigger problem. It really seems by all accounts from every reported angle that Harden is phenomenally passive aggressive. He didn't confront Dwight and be like, Hey, you need to get this together. Like stop doing this. Stop acting like this, like get it together. Didn't do that. Just, it didn't work. It was tense. He was gone. Um, 
he and Chris had problems, but one of the problems seemed to be that Chris was like, he wanted him to be upfront with him. And instead just like up oh, one day, Chris is gone. All of this, Chris is gone. Um, and then like now he doesn't come out and be like, this is my position. I would like the Rockets to trade me. Like I'll absolutely show up and be a professional. I plan on joining my teammates this season. I care about my teammates, but I, but my wishes are to continue on with my career elsewhere. Doesn't do that. By all accounts, doesn't do any of that. Just no shows. And during a pandemic, mind you. Um, and so to me, like there is for all, all of the great things about Harden, I do think that there is a consistent line of he just kind of wants the game to be the game and for everything else to kind of be handled by other people. And if you are in his position and you get that kind of power, you're responsible for more than just that. No, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, You know, I think that, that kind of extends to something that we've seen. It's been a, a track record. Uh, just if you're looking at the essentially the on the court product, but also how this, you know, how this uh, blends into the chemistry and the off the court things that we've seen, you know, throughout the Harden era in Houston is he's never been the vocal or emotional leader of the team. Uh, you know, you can, and that even predates the Chris Paul era. You can point to uh, Patrick Beverly being more or less the the vocal, emotional leader of the team for the Rockets, and you know, kind of having some other uh, veteran voices in that locker room. Then Chris Paul steps into that role for two years in Houston. Then just for the last season, Russell Westbrook steps into that role, where the Harden's leadership has been a question mark uh, throughout his throughout his career. And, you know, I think there are a lot of uh, issues that have popped up. Now, how much weight you take into, you know, into account for guys like Austin Rivers, you know, feeling slighted or Trevor Ariza wanting an apology from the organization, you know, these little reports that pop up here and there, you know, years later or months after the fact uh, about issues with Harden. Um, I do think there is, you do have to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt, but at the same time, I do think that Daryl Morey specifically, as well as Mike D'Antoni for the last four years, harbored an environment where essentially they enabled James Harden's behavior, right? Because that starts somewhere. The culture starts somewhere. And I think the the funniest thing was, is we recently got a report uh, that was leaked, obviously by Harden's camp, saying that they don't like the culture in Houston. Well, the, the culture in Houston is brand new. Like they've got a new head coach, a new assistant coaching staff, you know, a bunch of fresh new faces, you know, an injection of youth into the roster. Um, Russ isn't here, John Walden, DeMarcus Cousins, all this stuff. So how can they say they don't like the culture in Houston? Yes, you can point towards Tillman Fertitta, but even then, Fertitta doesn't really involve himself in the day-to-day of the team. So I really think that it points towards Harden having that, you know, again, being enabled by Daryl Morey for those eight years, as well as Mike D'Antoni, especially for the last four, to where he's not, there's not a reasonable expectation of what he has to do as the face of the franchise, as the leader of the franchise. Am I off base here? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I think you're a little off base, and here's why. Sure. Um, One, I would say we have enough evidence now that basically if you don't cater these stars and they go to LA, what's the, what's the accusation that gets thrown at you? Well, you didn't do enough to make them happy to keep them to let, to win. You didn't do enough. You have to do everything to keep your star. You have to do everything. Like they let Mal- the bucks like Malcolm Brogdon walk and everyone goes like, ah, they let Malcolm Brogdon walk. You deserve to lose Giannis. Like that's like, what about all the other good things that they did? The other thing I'd say is like, 
Maury was not like the the Rockets culture was not just like the was not just just the Maury and Harden years. Like Maury's been there 14 years, so and, and there was always the same kind of culture, and the players always understood it, which is like Daryl was very obvious, very very upfront with everybody about. If you are not at one level, I am willing to move you, and I'm willing to let you go if you if you generate an offer that is more than I think you are worth. You let like everybody, right? Like everybody that came through there, like Carl Landry, like everybody that came through there, Chuck Hayes, like everybody. If they got a better offer somewhere, they were gone because he was in constant pursuit of a championship. But when he got Harden, he did the right thing, which is like we're going to give you the most money and every opportunity that I have. The second I can give you more money, I'm going to give you the most I possibly can. Like uh, we, you know, we want to build a, a, a system around you that makes you MVP. Build a system around it that makes him MVP. Um, we want a coach that's gonna like press the offensive stuff so that you, your numbers are astronomical. Got Mike D'Antoni. Also want to win a, win a championship. Got Chris Paul. Got to the Western Conference Finals. Got up three two. Like they did everything. And at some point, um, this is a, a pretty general axiom from most executives, and I believe it your team culture will always take on the identity of your best player. In OKC, the culture was Russ. Like, even OKC said that. OKC is very big on culture building, like, precepts and concepts. And if you ask them, they still were like, Russ sets the tone. Russ is the culture. Like, how Russ does things, that's how we do things. And the same is true in LA with the Lakers, and the same is true all over. And as a result, like, you can't, it's just how it's going to be. You can't have it both ways where you're like, the culture is bad. Um, and what was the culture? Giving me everything I want. What do you want? I want to be given everything I want. Like, it's this big circular notion. And finally, I when I read the the comment about it's a, it's they're basically Knicks West, if you ask what the problem with the Knicks is, you can point to a lot of things, but the number one thing that you point to is ownership. Like, that's the consistent trend. They've tried every thinkable combination. Phil Jackson, Right. Um, all of these people, like just they've, they've hired older people to come in and run like old sage guys. They've tried new young executives. They've gone with young, new hot coaches. They've gone with older guys. They've tried assistants. They've tried everything and nothing works. And the reason is it's all poison from the top down. And when I read that quote, if we look at, at MDA being gone, Maury being gone, instead of being like MDA and Maury were the culture, I think that the problem that, that they're trying to identify there is they don't believe Tillman Fertitta wants to win. And that to me was a shot at Fertitta. I can, and again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue that point whatsoever. I do think that, uh, you know, but I, I, I do wonder again, one, if it, if it does all circle back to Fertitta, it's just, you got to look at it as a masterful job, a, a masterclass in tanking an organization because again, he's done, he's managed to do uh, um, some significant damage in as little as three years, yeah. which is just impressive. Um, and obviously we can tie back like the, the issues with Mike D'Antoni to the very public egregious, uh, you know, uh, contract situation, the yeah. ageism lawsuit, all that, uh, you can point towards the, you know, the constant ducking of the luxury tax and how chances are Daryl Morey did have his, his hands tied, um, for those, those couple years under Tillman, or I should say those three years under Tillman Fertitta. And again, always publicly saying the right thing. You know, I was behind the Russ trade. No, we're not ducking the luxury tax, all this stuff. So I, I do see it that way. Um, and then it, it is tough, though, when you have a bunch of fresh faces come in, like Rafael Stone taking over the GM position, uh, Steven Silas coming in to be the head coach. And then 
I guess they've got that shadow lingering over them because the the one takeaway that I have from all this, you know, yes, the Harden situation is frustrating. Um, you know, at this point where I'm at is if they part ways with Harden and they opt for a rebuild with, say, a Ben Simmons cornerstone type player, and then they just, you know, they decide to jumpstart the rebuild by trading him for a young cornerstone and a bunch of draft picks or whatever. Um, no skin off my nose. I'm kind of ready to move on at this point. However, if he suits up and they, you know, have a competitive season and John Wall and Boogie Cousins are rejuvenated, however unlikely that may be. That's fun too. That's that's fun, interesting, fun basketball to watch uh, over the course of this next year. But past all that, I think that it, it's it's tough to look at what Harden has done. I guess, um, and again, I can't be upset. Like I guess with the whole Tillman Fertitta situation, is you know he it just feels bad for Steven Silas and the new guys coming in, I guess, is where I'm at. Because they do have a chance, and you you hit the nail on the head, I think, about you know Harden being the guy that establishes the culture because it emanates from your star player, from your franchise player. But if he comes in and gives this a shot, again, you know, are we expect Right now, the Rockets are a luxury tax team. So now, could they dodge the tax at the trade deadline? Absolutely. They could jettison P.J. Tucker for, for nothing to a contender and absolutely dodge the luxury tax. But I think we're, and this might be getting back into that moral area that you said you want to maybe not be, not comment on at the very beginning of the pod. But for Harden to not even look at this team, this new facelift to the organization, and even want to remotely give it a chance, especially being two years out of his con, uh, out of his uh, player option on his contract, that's where I think a lot of people are taking exception to how he's how he's handled things so far. Well, I think it's interesting though because you're basically saying like. Well, if things were bad, we changed all these things. But but to me, I keep looking at me and like, things are bad because you changed all these things. You got rid of Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. You got rid of two of the most successful people in the sport over the last 15 years. Like, they lost so much in those two. Like, D'Antoni is a lock for 50 wins every season. Daryl Morey, I, I started writing about Daryl in 2007 and started writing posts that were headlined, Daryl Morey runs the game. He is the, to me, he is the best executive in the history of the league. Like nobody managed assets as well as he did. And immediately you sense that there was tension with Fertitta, like immediately. And so really quick, really quick though, on Mike D'Antoni, do we think that, I mean, genuinely, is it Mike D'Antoni that's a lock for 50 wins a season? Or is it a James Harden led team being coached by Mike D'Antoni? That's a lock for 50 wins because we've seen what Mike D'Antoni's accomplished with. He doesn't have a, just MVP caliber guard at the helm. We watched that happen multiple well, times. Okay, two things. One, the the Lakers job, very specifically, a reminder never to take a job when you're on pain medicine because that's what he did. He literally <laughs> was on pain meds after knee surgery. Good, good reminder for everybody. Don't accept jobs when you're on narcotics. Two, the Knicks job. One, we know the Knicks. Two, if they hadn't done the mellow trade, if Del- Dolan hadn't fallen for that, that team was on pace to probably improve with young talent and probably hit the 50-win mark. Like They were heading in the right direction, and then they traded for Mello, and guess what happened? The star player ran over things and got D'Antoni fired. Like It's the same kind of pattern repeating. Mm, so, sounds a little familiar. No. <laughs> like, I'll just say, like I, Steve Salas comes highly recommended. Everyone in Dallas loves him, right? And he was, and he was in, he was in like line run. for the he was in line for the Rockets yep. job four years ago. Yes, but I don't expect him to have the same kind of success as Mike D'Antoni because Mike D'Antoni is going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, we'll see. Maybe, maybe he could be good. Like, I I, I can't even. Here's the thing: is I can't even point to the season and be like, well, they could be good, but I don't know about Stephen Silas. Like, 
this thing should run itself, right? Like there's enough returning parts and components and they have enough like internal stuff and it's hardened and like you can implement some, and they're obviously implementing new things. I don't know if going faster is necessarily the move, but it's a choice. Um, but like, even through all of this, it's just a matter like he has been submarine by this hardened thing. Absolutely. Like Harden is submarining Steven Silas 100%. And that's like, that's BS. That's, that's just, you know, you should, again, I just think that people should be, should be aware, generally speaking, of the impact that your actions have on others. Like, I just think that that's like a general quality we should do, you know, whether it's don't undermine a head coach that's finally gotten his shot in his rookie season that everyone really respects. Don't immediately submarine his season, like be like, okay, I want out, I'll continue to want out, but I'm gonna come to work and do my thing. Two, you know, maybe care about others in terms of wearing masks and not gathering in large places. Just a thought, just throwing that yeah, out there. Yeah, no, I, I I hammered hard and thoroughly for about yeah. 10 minutes straight, just just on the mask angle, not even from a basketball politics standpoint, yeah. but just, you know, not wearing a mask, public gatherings, all that, you know, with, with hundreds of thousands of people dead is not a great look right. uh, just as a person. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've... I've Unless there's, unless you've got something else that you want to add into this, I think we've kind of uh, spent a little bit more time on Harden than I wanted us to. But again, that's the big story right now, and that's the thing that's you know burning at the forefront of everybody's mind. So I don't think people are going to be upset. Uh, But I do want to step away and kind of take a bigger uh, view at the rest of the league and kind of get some uh, some NBA league wide questions in here for you in just a second. Unless you've got anything else you want to tack on about this Harden thing, because I again, this is all I've been talking about for days now. No, I just think that the, the important thing here is like there could be multiple sides of this. I just think that um, I'm sure Fertitta has a side and justifications for various things. Um, I'm sure Harden has compelling points. It is his business. It is telling Fertitta's business. Um, I just, to me, I just, I am constantly thinking of the people that get caught in the crossfire in these things. And there's a lot of people getting caught in the crossfire right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of stray bullets uh, in this one. Unfortunately, uh, Silas being probably the the worst one, in my opinion, at least. Uh, you know, that man doesn't deserve this after working so hard to get to the point that he's finally at being a head coach. But um, I think we've hammered away a lot of points on that. So coming up here in just a second, we're going to talk uh, Eastern Western conferences, some sleeper picks, uh, and some other storylines besides the uh, Harden saga heading into this next season. We'll get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, we're, we've been chatting with Matt, and we've been uh, all over this Harden situation, so we're going to branch away a little bit and just look at the NBA at large. And so I, I, let's just start kind of in general. Um, I guess we can go, uh, we'll start Western Conference and then may, maybe slide our way over to the East uh, momentarily, but just off the top of your head, Matt, which teams have impressed you this offseason so far? Uh, the ones that you think really took a, took a leap up, uh, you know, and maybe uh, just uh, the ones that you think probably took a significant dip. And you know what? If the Rockets are one of the ones that took a dip, you can refrain because we've already bashed them thoroughly through two segments. <laughs> no, like if it wasn't for your franchise player submarining your season, I'd be very high on them. Um Good, because I think on paper they look like a very interesting dynamic roster, but Harden doesn't apparently feel the same way. <laughs> so I was uh, I, like, I was I wrote about Christian Wood before free agency started because I heard that he was going to be a hot name, and when they signed him, I was like, that's a great move. Are you as high on Christian Wood as everybody else in Houston? Yeah, like that's a gr- like. Well, okay, I'll say this: I think y'all gone a little crazy. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> 
No, I mean, he's he's twenty five and twelve. He's a lock for MVP. It's happened. No, uh, yeah, there's not, well, not I think that the bigger, him, but. Honestly, the bigger the bigger issue is that Christian doesn't come without concerns. Like he just doesn't. Like there are there are people in like like scouts that are like, there's work ethic concerns about now that he got paid. There's concerns that anytime there's a guy that goes from fringe to this level there's always a little bit of like skepticism about what was it that was holding him back? Why didn't he stick with the team? And then um, what's that going to mean for him now that he's paid? Like, that's just part of the dynamic is a concern about like, what's he going to look like now that he's actually expected to, to do more than just get numbers. Uh, if you want the example that I'm kind of referring to here, it's like, it's a Hassan Whiteside effect of uh-huh. like, like Whiteside was a nobody. And then it was like, he's sensational. And then the heat gave him like a bazillion dollars. And then everyone like, Oh, but he's not actually a, impact player he just gets stats um that's a little bit of the concern with wood i think wood's game is overall better i think he's more developed i think he's more three-dimensional etc um it can be really great you know cousins at this point i don't i I just don't know what to expect um i want good things for john wall want to believe he looks so fast in the videos i'm excited like i've said this and if you want the hottest of hot takes oh i'm ready if they trade spiciest take yeah, here's the thing. If they trade hard, this is one of the – I got in huge hot water with, with the Rockets fans the other day because I said I was like, I actually don't think the, the Nets deal is that bad, and they all freaked out at me. Um, the reason I said that mostly was if you tell me that the lineup is Wall, Gordon, Lavert, Wood, and Boogie, or uh, Tucker, Wood, like or Allen – I'm pretty much like, I think that's like a 45, 46 win t- team if John's healthy. Like, they're they're pretty good. They're a pain. They're going to be well coached. Like, all expectations are that Silas is going to be good. You know, like, that could really work. Like, that could be really good. I think the return you can get for Harden, if, if, and even if you just, if you take out, if you don't like the, the specific nets included in the deal, if you just t- tell me that Harden's going to be traded for a quality, starter with star potential sub 25 years old another role player and multiple picks i'm still gonna be like i think that team's probably like 45 46 47 wins and like a dangerous playoff team and is fun so like i'm high on the rockets potential once they get past the fact that their best player is submarining the season um, and and that could be one of two ways, right? That could be, and I know that we said that we're going to move away from the Rockets, but this yeah. is just, it's too easy to talk about. Right. Um, so, I mean, and that could be one of two things. That could be James Harden actually stepping in, because I think the, the biggest dilemma that's being faced right now is everybody, and it seems like this is coming from so many different angles, where people feel like the Rockets need to just concede and trade Harden somewhere. Just, you know, just give up, take the Nets package, you know, hang, uh, you know, pick up the, pick up the phone, t- call Daryl Morey and, you know, make the Ben Simmons thing happen. But I think the hope from the Rockets front office is that if you roll Harden out with this lineup and if Wall and Cousins are as healthy as they say they are, if Christian Wood lives up to, you know, a frack, you know, some, some level of the hype, if Eric Gordon has a bounce back season, then... You're looking at a really talented roster, and maybe by the midway part part of the season, by the trade deadline, you know, this team could actually be doing something significant in a stacked Western Conference, and then maybe you look across the fence at the East, and if the Nets aren't doing as hot, you know, if, if Katie's not quite the same when he comes back, if Kyrie's, you know, Kyrie is oft injured, so like, maybe something bad happens there, maybe the 76ers aren't, aren't what they've cracked, out, uh, cracked up to be, all that stuff, there's potential for Harden to realize that Houston might be the best situation even though he's got wandering eyes looking elsewhere right right i think that's absolutely possible um 
The other team is the West. I think they're kind of interesting as far as it's hard to identify sleepers because we're able to kind of look and see the hype is pretty evident because of where the like media and internet is at at this point. Right. Like the Blazers, the think about what the Blazers did. They added Rodney hood. They get use of Nurkic back. They added Robert Covington who last year I did not think was all that great. Um, they added um, uh, Derek Jones jr. They're moving mellow to the bench and they get Rodney hood back. And now all of a sudden that team is projected to be 47, 48 wins. Like that's where their win totals are at. Um, there, there are the, the, the like trendy sleeper pick to win the Northwest division. I think that's crazy, but like, that's where a lot of the hype is. I think the Pelicans are kind of easy to circle and be like, there's a lot of hype there just because Zion. Um, I have chemistry concerns. It's kind of weird. I'm actually probably lower on the Western conference than most people are not in terms of their overall strength versus the Eastern conference. Just that like, I think that there's a lot of flaws up and down in the Western conference. I don't think that the, I think the Western conference is exceptionally top heavy with the Lakers and Clippers, but with the Nuggets probably taking a slight step backwards, at least with Jeremy Grant out and more question marks. Um, And then like, I think a team like Utah might be the team that really is like, they should have been better last year and this year they're better. I'm bullish on, I'm bullish on Utah and got some flack for that online. But genuinely, I think that they have a, have a chance to make some noise. And I think that people seriously forgot the impact that uh, Bogdanovich had when he wasn't present in the bubble, you know, having him uh, at the four, his scoring impact was huge, um, you know, for a team that just, you know, lacks a lot of front court scoring, I guess. Right. And then, the one team that I have kind of circled is, and like, I'm going back and forth. Like I had to figure out, I faded Dallas heavy last year and that was a mistake. And so now I'm in the position of, I basically have to decide whether I'm going to double down and fade them again, or if I'm going to like over buy in and I'm, I'm leaning towards overly buying in. Depends on how much faith you have in Porzingis's knees, basically. Not even that. I actually don't think Porzingis is all that impactful for them. Um, there was a lot of indicators that they were still good when he wasn't on the court. There were still a lot of indications that the things that he did weren't necessarily essential. They played really well for a stretch of time uh, in like from like January until the suspension of play. Porzingis and Luca got on the same page and were playing really well. Um, but much of that was also because Dwight Powell was out and the numbers with Dwight Powell were excellent because if you give Luca like a real pick and roll dive option, good things happen. So with, with Josh Richardson, I think that that's an upgrade. Um, I'm just very high on him and not as high on Seth Curry. Um, they've added enough pieces, I think, to where I'm, I'm kind of ready to buy in on Dallas. They're maybe the one team that I can see making a major leap again two years in a row. Much of that built on the fact that if you look at their success last year, you start to just go like, it really is just Luka. Like Luka is just singularly that good. And so um, they're maybe the team that I'm most bullish on versus most of the rest of the, I think of the rest of the Western conference. Where are you at on Phoenix? Cause that's the one that I've, I've heard mixed reviews on. And even myself, I don't know exactly quite where I land on the suns, um, but they're interesting. And that's just, uh, that's uh, just first comment there, but where, where are your thoughts on Phoenix? So I think it's interesting if you extrapolate their win total, that's at the books out to 82 games, it comes out to like 44. Like that's the high end is like 44 wins, 43, 44 wins. And that seems to honestly be a little bit too pessimistic. Um, I think a big part of this is just Chris Paul has gone vegan and has been like such a, a 
steady block. But he's so much more relied on, I think, than last year. Last year, because of where the Thunder were at, they could be like, eh, Chris hasn't been in a good spot. Let's just send him down for a couple of games. If they missed the playoffs, they were fine. If they made the playoffs, great. Um, they had Schroeder. They had Shea, right? It's not the same kind of situation in Phoenix. It's They're a lot more top-heavy. Um, they rely on a lot of young guys. They lost Rubio, Oubre, and Baines. And they added, like, Jay Crowder, right, and each one more. And those guys are like decent Ubre replacements, but I think Ubre is a little bit better. Paul's better than Rubio, but the question is like how much better? Because Rubio was really good last year. And then Aiden was really good last year, but a lot of it was like he, I think he benefited from the presence of Bain and from what Bain was able to like help him coach into him. So without him, how does that look? And you also just don't know like is Chris's demanding style going to bring the best out of Aiden? Or is it going to be one of those situations, like a lot of guys just get tired of hearing Chris Paul bark at them. Same deal with Booker. Uh, we're just going to, we're going to find out a lot about the character of the Suns early have, on in the season. I that. have, uh, I have, it's a, I don't know where you're going to think about this, but I've got Phoenix, uh, and Phoenix, Golden State, and uh, the Blazers actually in my like lower tier of Western Conference teams, like kind of fighting for that seven, eight spot. And then having one of those teams actually miss out and have to fight in through the uh, the play in tournament uh, is kind of and I, I I won't get into the the rest of the seating on there but I've kind of got them in that range that like seven through nine range with one of those teams uh, probably missing this uh, missing the playoffs and being forced to fight in uh, alongside one of uh, one of the Pelicans or the Grizzlies actually because I kind of think that that's where I'm predicting those two teams to kind of fall but um, we also haven't hit on the East at all and there's a lot of stuff going on out out east. Um, uh, where are you? Where are you at on some of those Eastern Conference teams? I'm super high on the Celtics. I'm just super high on them. I think honestly they underperformed a little bit last season. I think getting Tristan Thompson is such a big upgrade. I don't mind them losing Gordon Hayward. He was good for them. He did good things for them, but he didn't do anything that their other wings can't duplicate. Like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. If that core is together, I am going to believe the Celtics are going to win 50 games. Brad Stevens is a uh, he, I have been critical of Stevens when he was overrated. I am very complimentary of him when he's underrated. I think he's honestly, his impact is being a little bit underrated um, going into this season. I'm a little bit surprised at some of the numbers that have been out there. Like they're expected to, to win fewer games than last year. If you extrapolate everything to 72, that's surprising to me. Like that sh- they should not be in the negative. Um, and that's mostly just like, well, they lost Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker has the knee thing. I get it. But, like, the Celtics' entire identity is always scrappy, scrappy, scrappy. And one dude is, like, a super talented scorer. And that's Tatum. Like, Tatum's the best player on the team. Nobody would dispute that. And so I'm really high on the Celtics. I think they're going to be really good. Um, I'm trying to basically keep my pessimism about the Heat to a minimum and just, like, I'm trying to blot that out. Like, there's a lot of things about them that make me want to go, like, yeah, but couldn't they regress? Like, what about this? And, like, were they really that good last year? Um, but I have to resist that and basically just be like Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, that team's good. Just put them there. Um, so I think they'll be really good. I, you know, the Sixers are an easy one to kind of buy into, but they're the same team every year. They're so attractive on paper until Joel Embiid shows me he can actually be the kind of player he says he is. I'm going to sell them. Like I'll say this, if that deal were to happen and Ben Simmons were to go to Houston I'm not saying that, that the Houston Rockets get a better player. James Harden has been in the top three in MVP for the last five seasons. I would very, very much be interested to see what 
the Rockets look like long term with Ben Simmons. He, if I could pick any superstar to build around over the next ten years, it does not. The list is not long before you get to Ben Simmons in my book. I did a deep dive on him. I was mild on him for a long time. I did a deep dive on him last year. He's incredible. Like he's just so good. I don't like the shooting with Wall. Yeah, I get it. He's so good at so many things and is going to get continue to get better. Um, I, I love the Sixers if they're Ben Simmons team. I can't trust them if they're Joel Embiid's. Well, they, they're either going to be. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I guess you look at it. They they are. I mean, do you, do you envision them as as long as Embiid and Simmons are together? Do you think they're still Embiid's team, quote unquote? Is that the issue that you're having there? Yeah, I just think that my my biggest thing, and there's a lot of debate about this, and obviously Sixers fans hate this idea, but we have more than one year of evidence that Embiid and Simmons, you can't optimize them. Like, you can, you can if you want to optimize Embiid, you put four shooters around him. If you want to optimize Simmons, you put four shooters around him. Neither one of those guys is a great shooter. Um, Embiid was at one point before the suspension was sixth in mid-range field goal attempts per game. Of all the people in the NBA, why is he sixth in that category? Of all the people, of all the shots he could take, why that? Um, and there's people that are like, well, he has to make up for Ben Simmons. It's like, yeah, but he was like that. If you look at the numbers, he did the same thing when Simmons wasn't on the floor. Um, if they traded Embiid for shooters, I would want it like, let me put it this way. If the Sixers traded Joel Embiid for James Harden, I would probably be buying Sixers title futures. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think we'd have to yeah. we'd have to be checking to make sure that uh, uh, Rafael Stone wasn't hitting the bottle while making trades because right. that would be just completely asinine. But yeah, I hear you. Right. So, like that that's kind of like, well, that's interesting though because like Simmons isn't talked about as an MVP, right? Embiid is. Like it's interesting that that you say that, but like, but like why it, Simmons seems to have more value at least to you like Simmons seems to have more value as a trade asset yet Embiid is talked about way more broadly as the better player and maybe that's just a, a an adverse impact of what they have or I guess you know better have not been able to accomplish together and that the uh understanding I guess for a lot of people is that it's still Embiid's team question mark but uh you're right you know getting getting Simmons in a position where he could thrive with shooters around him and I know we we talked about you know the the potential negative fit between him and John Wall but in the same context of you know the fit between John Wall and James Harden you can look at John Wall and look at his uh catch and shoot numbers and he's a 38% three point shooter catch and shoot so you know the fit's not necessarily terrible there um if that trade were to come to fruition but I think that's just by and large the the most uh, attractive trade offer or potential trade offer on the table uh, for James Harden. Absolutely, and you wouldn't catch me uh, being upset about having you know Ben Simmons here in Houston. But the one team we haven't spoken about at all is the Nets, and that's a team that I think uh, has some very big question marks surrounding them. Like actually, uh, just depending on the health of their two stars, uh, you know, and what they're going to be able to actually accomplish in a really top-heavy Eastern Conference be quite honest with you i have zero idea of what to make with the nets i, have I don't have, away the, I, don't have them pe- I don't have them pegged as a top four seed like and I, I don't know, don't if that's know crazy what to or make not. of it like yeah you you could be right you could be way off base they could be the one seed they could be the eight seed. i don't know like i just i just don't know i i don't know what kd's gonna look like when he returns right like i have said since he suffered the achilles that i'm like if there's one player in nba history that i would trust to return of all the guys that have suffered that injury i mean it's 
it, it's KD. Like Neek was the the second best player, or was the best player to ever come back and be like an All NBA selection. I, if you tell me that that KD comes back as seventy five percent of his old self, that's still an All NBA player. Um, I've never look. I haven't been high on Kyrie Irving ever. Like the last time I was high on him was out of college. I loved him at Duke and was like, this kid's like the one. He's gonna bring together like the athleticism and speed of John Wall and like the skill of Derrick Rose. And, and then like, he decided to open his third eye instead. Yeah, you know, he decided to open his third eye. Um, and so, like, I'm I'm low on Kyrie for a number of reasons. Um, not his stance on Black Lives Matter and the protests. I think that he was completely on point with a lot of that and am fully in support of those comments. But that's not the entirety of, the, of what he's made into his public persona. And all of those things factor into, like, how I evaluate him. Um, but, like, the rest of that roster, you know, like, DeAndre Jordan, is he still going to start over Jared Allen? Uh, is, like, they brought out Jeff Green. Like, they brought back Joe Harris for a huge sum of money. I guess the shooters, like, that works. Like, um, like I just don't know. Like, I, I really don't know what to make of this team when we look at the entirety of it. I don't know how to – they've got so many wings. They have so many wings. Choza and, like, and Harris and Levert and Dinwiddie and, like, and Bruce Brown. Like, all the way down. Like, all these guys. I have no idea what to expect from this team. I do not know. And so um, in the absence of knowing, like, I think you do have to be a little bit skeptical. I, I don't think putting them outside the top four is nuts. I just, I have a hard time figuring out anything about what this team is going to look like. They're having a collaborative head coaching experience. There's everything about this team is I'm just like, it could work. I got to see. Or it could be a dumpster fire, which, hey, plays into uh, Rockets fans' favor. So we're just going to actually uh, hope that the Nets are a dumpster fire, as well as the 76ers, <laughs> and that James Harden decides that he wants to retire Houston Rocket. And that is the note that we will wrap things up on so that we can end on a positive thought. But uh, Matt, really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today. Uh, go ahead and let our listeners know where they can find your content at. Yeah, download the Action Network app. It's the fastest app for tracking your scores, even if you're not in the betting. Uh, I've... I've timed our app versus the actual in-game broadcast. It's faster than the TV feed. Like if you want up to the second scoring updates on stats and everything else, plus great content, check out the Action Network app. All right. Again, thanks, Matt. We really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.